0: There is evidence that the California legislation has worked. Between 2013 and 2017, the proportion of children attending kindergarten who were not up to date on their vaccination halved to 4.9%. But this might not tell the whole story. Daniel Salmon, director of the Johns Hopkins Institute for Vaccine Safety in Baltimore, Maryland, points out that the number of unvaccinated children being educated at home in California almost quadrupled between the 2016-17 and the 2018-19 school years. I'm about to give you my reasoning and analytical views on why I'm a skeptic of vaccines. My name is Eric, and welcome to the craziness that lives inside my head. So COVID-19 vaccine is out on the market, like all new pharmaceuticals, is now and has no long-term history of of proclaiming its effectiveness or mandating its use unless the companies or even the governments are going to compensate those humans that become damaged by its incompetence and or its inconsistencies. It's one thing to make an individual decision to take a drug and accept the the responsibility, if that drug doesn't work, then to be forced to take an unproven drug and die or be damaged from it. Whose responsibility is that? The pharmaceuticals, the doctors, the scientists, or the government? Or all of the above? Creating excuses that these inconsistencies are the side effects of the vaccine-slash-drug, not the vaccine-slash-drugs themselves. No vaccine is 100% efficient. Very few vaccinated recipients were hospitalized or died from the side effects. Tell that to the recipients who have died or suffered Consequences of the side effects. It all comes down to statistics and numbers. That's all we are to these doctors and scientists. They do not operate individually, they operate in numbers. How many deaths versus how many lives? So sacrifice the unknown recipients who cannot tolerate the side effects. I'm about to. To talk about my experiences. With doctors and pharmaceutical companies. Okay. At the doctor's office. Age 17. The doctor looks over my. Lab results from my. Blood work that was taken. A week ago. Eric. When I look over your lab results. You are in perfectly good health. But when I look at you. You are mortally obese and won't live to see your 20s at the rate you're going. Hmm, okay. At a different doctor's office, age 27, the doctor looks over my lab results from my blood work that was taken a week ago. Eric, when I look over your lab results, you are in perfectly good health. But when I look at you, you are mortally obese and won't live to see your 30s at the rate you are going. Hmm. Okay. At another different doctor's office, now age 37, the doctor looks over my lab results from my blood work that was taken a week ago. Eric, when I look over your lab results, you are in perfectly good health. But when I look at you, you are morbidly obese and won't live to see your 40s at the rate you are going. Hmm. All right. At age 40... I went to a doctor to lose weight. The doctor had me on FenFam. I lost weight and found that when I stopped taking the pills, the weight returned. So I asked the doctor, do I have to be taking these pills for the rest of my life? Yes, he responded. I don't want to take any pills for the rest of my life, I objected. Well, if you want to live to see an old age, and this medication will help you lose weight otherwise, you're going to die of a heart attack before you're 50 for being morbidly obese, he explained. That's okay. I'm not taking them any anymore, I told him. He exploded into a frenzy and bombarded me with fire and brimstone. you going to tell me what you're not going to take? I'm the doctor, Eric, and I've been to four years of college, four years of medical school, seven years of residency, and you're going to tell me you're not taking this medication? And then, in all my intuition and fears about the drug proved me right. What happened to the drug, finfen In 1997, the FDA ordered the company to remove I call fen, fen uh, I can't even say the word Fenfluramine or pondermin and a related drug Dex from my end, I can't say that or redux from the market. After a study showed they caused damage to heart valves, that officially put an end to the femfem craze. At age forty-five I got my stomach stapled And a band placed around my stomach. I was 430 pounds with a waist size 64 inches. Within a year, I was down to 330 pounds and a waist size of 56 inches. However, 10 years later, I was back up in weight to 380 pounds. Here we go again. At the doctor's office, age 58, the doctor looked over my lab results from my blood work that was taken a week ago. Eric, I'm going to put you on some medications for your diabetes since you're borderline, your borderline high blood pressure, and your slightly high cholesterol, and maybe something to help you with your sleep apnea, said the doctor as he wrote the prescriptions. I'm not taking any of those medications, I defiantly advise him. He looked at me concerned with concern, then smiled. Okay, let's do something. Let's try to lose weight and see what happens a year from now and take blood for new lab results. Our eyes met in agreement, and this was the first time a doctor didn't give me gloom and doom, but a feeling of hope and a life without drugs. It's been 13 years now at age 69, that I've steadily kept the majority of the weight off with the help of a personal trainer and diet in old age. My highest weight was 430 pounds in 1997 to my lowest weight of 206 pounds in 2017. I slipped and ate unhealthy and because of COVID-19, not being able to go to the gym, including my bad knees, I am now 230 pounds and once again losing because of old age. There are a lot of foods my body cannot, can no longer tolerate and the amount of food to fill my appetite is small, I eat two meals a day. Then there's my cat Missy I want to talk about. I mean isn't a vet the same thing as a doctor in science? I blame myself for her death. I put all my trust in the veterinarians, making her better. I mean, who is more qualified in animal health? My cats, Missy and Cleo, and me moved south from Connecticut. I had them for three years before moving south. Cleo got sick first. After a month of living in the south, she became sick, vomiting nonstop. I didn't know if it was the food or some bug she ate. I rushed her to the vet. They gave her a shot and she stopped vomiting and never had a problem health-wise with her, except she's obese. Since then, Missy became a- allergic to something. She scratched so much that she was covered in bald spots all over her body. I rushed her to the vet and they gave her a steroid shot. It stopped her scratching, and all of her hair grew back, but then she became obese like Cleo. Six months later, her scratching herself bore returned, and once again, I rushed her to the vet. They once again gave her a steroid shot and took some tests. She was allergic to something in the house. Her good health came back, but six months later, the scratching syndrome returned. The vet advised me that after a while, the steroid shots aren't going to work and I should take her to a specialist, which I did. The veterinarian specialist told me about this new medication I was going to be administering to her daily for two weeks was experimental. And this came out on the market. Not thinking or even questioning it, I gave her the medication regimen. I wanted her to be well again. And I put all my faith in science. The medication worked. However, she lost a lot of weight within a week and became very lethargic. I rushed her to the, to the original vet. They advised me to take her off the medication regimen and had me buy prescription cat food for her. None of it helped her to get better. About a couple of days later, 3 o'clock in the morning, I heard her getting getting worse. Her breathing was unstable. I had to rush her to my dad's house, begging for $300 to take her to the 24-hour animal emergency hospital. When I got her there, a big release came over me. They're going to fix her. They're going to make her well. They're, they're doctors. They got to make her well. They got to fix her. They're scientists. But when they gave me the verdict of her condition, I had to realize that, yes, they were doctors and scientists, but they weren't gods. I was told after they did all the tests that what happened was the new experimental medication had suppressed her immune system and she had cancer, so cancer took a holiday and was taking her life. And they said, I guess to comfort me that if she hadn't taken the medication, she would have still died from cancer, but not at the rate she did at that point. One of the arguments I find quite interesting is when they say that seatbelts are mandatory in cars. You wouldn't take the risk of riding in a car without seatbelts. Oh, I should say, without wearing a seat, wearing a, without wearing a seatbelt. That risk is my prerogative. If I choose not to have my seatbelts engage, my experience is when cars didn't have seatbelts or any mandatory safety requirements, and I've been involved in enough car accidents to know that the risk is great without seatbelts properly worn. I'm getting to something here, guys. The problem highlighted by the WHO earlier this year was not vaccine refusal, but vaccine hesitancy. In most, most countries, the proportion of the population that staunchly opposes vaccines is less than 2%. The bigger problem, Solomon says is a much larger group of people with some concerns about vaccination that might make them hesitant. He estimates that up to one third of Americans have concerns about vaccines. Making the laws stricter doesn't address that, he says. I'm going to do another quote. The small but vocal minority of people who refuse vaccines outright r- rarely change their minds. The much larger hesitant population, however, does respond to information campaigns. Therefore, rather than directing a limited pot of money, health system resources, and political capital towards limiting penalties for non-compliance, Salmon would prefer to use greater investment In education, and more effort to facilitate meaningful conversations between concerned people and health care professionals. Currently, the opportunity is limited. In the United States, Simon says, there is no insurance code through which pediatrics can be reimbursed for consulting with patients or parents on vaccinations. And Bedford says that in the United Kingdom, the number of health visits, the public health uh, participants who typically have such conversation has been cut by one-third in recent years. So, what am I getting at? Demanding me, penalizing me to do something is not going to make me do it victimizing me, ridiculing me, making society see me as a cause of their infliction is not going to make me do what you want me to do. How about talking to me, sympathizing with me, and assuring me that if this mandate doesn't work, we will reimburse you and make you whole again. This is Eric. You have just heard the real craziness that lives inside my head.